A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV original series, Foundation. In this podcast, we're going to be doing a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 2, A Glimpse of Darkness. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of July. For early and ad-free access and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Also, if you'd like to give us a leg up because you're enjoying our content, consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find our podcast, even on Terminus. We love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air. So send us feedback for the next episode. Send emails to empire at thelorehounds.com or head over to our website and there is a nifty voicemail feature. You can just click a button, leave us a little message and we can drop that into the next podcast or use the contact form. We also have a Discord server and we've got a channel set up for foundation and everything. And sometimes we'll go through there and if, if people have good comments, we'll bring them into the show as well. Cool. So David... Do you yes, have any background for me? I have on been Isaac Asimov. I have been reading up on Isaac Asimov and the Foundation series, but I'm not yet ready to uh, coalesce all of that information. It's very dense. Dude wrote over 500 books. That is insane. It is insane. It's as he wrote, insane as Harry Seldon. Well, yeah, it's and Harry Seldon sprang from his brain, right? Um, <laughs> The Foundation book series originally started as some uh, short stories and some pulp trades. Um, and there's this long, long and sort of not, it's not convoluted. It's pretty straightforward, but it's just a very dense historical record. And, you know, there's lots of YouTube videos with Asimov talking. There's a documentary that was recently done by a French documentarian company, which I can't seem to find anywhere. I can find all the references. I think Marilyn posted a link on the discord for us and I was trying to find it somewhere and it's, it's not yet in circulation for mm. whatever reason. So there's just a ton of information and I don't want to uh, start talking about the book history or Asimov's history without doing a little bit more research because I'm not a prior knowledge of, of him. I don't want to be out here 
claiming to be an expert on something I'm I'm really not. And then why not? That's like the whole me. deal of being a lorehound. <laughs> That's right? the great thing about being on the internet is <laughs> is hot takes draw. You just say stuff. Feedback exactly. <laughs> we got mics. You know, you don't have to yeah. listen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've been reading Wikipedia articles and listening to some YouTube videos and, and stuff. And every time I start to think I've got a handle on it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of the different series that he wrote and how he interlinked them and how this is like 20,000 years of human history. You know, uh, it's just wild. The dude he had a galaxy brain. He, he just had this yeah. crazy galaxy brain. He was a chemist. He taught it. At, at university in at, at Columbia, I think it was. Um, mm. Grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, Russian immigrants came over from from Russia uh, as a child, and yeah, just an incredible, amazing career. So uh, yeah, I'm going to keep working on that, and I'll uh, hopefully uh, be able to drop some more knowledge bombs in the near future. If listeners have stuff, send it in. I, I will yeah. gladly include that. And if you're here for a casual listen and you don't know who Isaac Asimov is because I kind of went into this cold, uh, he is the author of the Foundation series of books that this right. show is based on. So, And and we should really point out, too, because I know there's been some chatter on our Discord about this. If you think of uh, like a slider or a spectrum of inspiration to adaptation – Mm -hmm. Adaptation being, you know, the more you move into adaptation, the more faithful page for page rendition you have on screen. Then if you slide that thing all the way over to inspiration, hey, there were some cool ideas in here. We've stripped it for parts and now we're making our own thing. This is a book. This TV series is definitely to the inspiration side of the middle of this slider. So they're definitely taking parts and pieces from the stories and then recombining them. So if you go to read the books or any of the Asimov books, we're gonna you're gonna find more than just foundation here, I think, because we have a robot in here and there was all the robot wars, and that was a, a big series of books. And and he's Goyer, the David S. Goyer, the showrunner, I think he's he's really wrestled with how do you Talk about hundreds of, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years of human history spanning the galaxy with characters, you know, uh, in the books dying and each sort of, you know, each of the three original books, you have whole new different characters appearing. How do you do that on television so that you don't lose audience members uh, in a season? So they've really done a lot of creative work to break apart the story, try to find the original core concepts and then embody them in different ways and be inspired by the original book. But yet, uh, like I said, breaking apart, I guess it's like a Lego piece in a way, you know, taking all the Lego blocks and then rebuilding it. So eventually it looks not dissimilar to the original works, sure, but it's clearly sure. not an uh, adaptation yeah. of the. This is not an adaptation of the Foundation books. This right. is a story inspired by the by the original books. Right. They're trying to get some of the core messages and yes. use some of the big concepts and a lot of the language and the and yeah. sort of the the pieces of the board that are in the Foundation books, but tell it in a way that makes sense on screen. And I got to tell you, I started the first Foundation book. I'm not it's, very far it's in. It's dry, isn't it? It is it's very dry. dry. 
And it is stuffy men with patches on their elbows, smoking pipes and uh, calling for coffee from the secretary. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, I think it's time we talk about the actual show foundation. What did you? Yes. Oh, Oh, you're going to ask me. Oh, oh, no. And after you, sir, we'll we'll practice our dinner matters and and, and (laughs) how we who should ask who (laughs) what they thought of the episode first. Wait, we don't have a we don't have a a servant. uh, Our our we we need a a podcasting coach. That's right. We need an engineer. So you know what? I'll be I'll be brother day since I'm I'm the younger of the two. And oh, I will go first. Oh, oh the princeum. Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. Do, do you want to be day or do you want to be, be dusk? Du- am I dusk? <laughs> <laughs> Who's brother day then? Gr- is it Jean? I got enough gray in my beard to be dusk. That is for sure. There you go. Well, all right, fine. I'm going to do it because otherwise this go. podcast will never end because we'll be too polite forever. <laughs> but I um, I really liked it. I thought this okay. was not as as good as episode one, but still very good. I still mm-hmm. think we are operating on a much higher level than season one. Mm-hmm. I think the big ideas are there. The exposition is still being done perfectly. Like things are being revealed in conversation casually in ways that make sense. And it's very, it's very satisfying. I, I'm so glad that this show has found its legs. Good. Because this, what, it, this is a world that seems to have a lot of great ideas and like great big ideas that is what it wants to impart. And it's doing something that I've never seen done before in film, which is travel hundreds of years at a time. Right. And keep the same characters and make me still care about their fate. Mm-hmm. And that is very impressive. It's really hard work to keep the story, these really disparate storylines that are regionally, you know, yeah, geographically far away from each other and far away yeah. from each other in time. But yet we don't feel any of that time dislocation or, or place dislocation. Right. We're, we're firmly rooted with being on the beggar or being on Terminus or right. being with Empire. And now we've got some wizards. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So, some, some wizards. Some space um, wizards. Yeah. So what do you think about it? I was a little less excited about this episode. There were a few scenes that just were a little uh, for me on my second watch. They bought it bothered me all less, but I think I really have to to check myself uh, because I do have. A, I'm I'm approaching this show with a lot of high standards, so I'm being I think a little mm-hmm. e- potentially a little extra critical, and that's fine. I don't know that's you know I'm I'm having fun with it. I guess you could say I'm enjoying yeah. the show. Visually gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, really fascinating. The like you said, the the way that they're breaking apart the stuff and re- rebuilding the empire stuff continues to just blow me away. Queen yep. Sarah is boss. Um, really reminds me of the the crown and Queen Elizabeth and her sister. And, I was getting and, Game of Thrones vibes. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's all there's all of that too. She's great. I, she's a great addition. Uh, her and Lee Pace. Ooh, there's some chemistry there. And the, and the chemistry is very buried in insults, which is even funnier. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, the priest stuff was, I was like, ah, I'm not sure. I understand what they're, I understand what they're doing. And I understand what this is yeah. part of, of the larger story. I, I remember the books enough to understand what's going on here, but I just felt it was a little clunky. Um, yeah. The 
future projecting into the future. It was a little too much jazz hands for me. Ooh, don't you hear the sirens calling us to this planet? That was silly. That was silly. But I did really enjoy the transition from the, the, uh, the bridge into the future vision. I thought that that looked amazing. You know, the circular spinning spinning and then it slowly becomes a future. I thought that looked great. Okay. And every, every revolution where it was, uh, Right. changing each around the doors and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, big, big story elements here. The mule, uh, the second foundation, mentalic, or, or mentalics. These are all big concepts in later books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing being spoiled here for the book readers because the books kind of are on the, again, he's just pulling stuff here. But these are major, the mule is a major, major deal in, in, the, uh, in the books. And it's going to be obviously a major deal in the shows. Um, interesting. I'll talk about it when we get there. But there was definitely a shift with uh, the with, uh, stuff going on in The Beggar. Uh, there's a distinct shift between season one filming and season two filming. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about it there. Okay. But there was a clear like, oh, these you guys filmed this last year, and and now it's still you filmed this last year, but it's in season two. And then at one point, we then uh, I'm like, oh, this is season two filming. So it, gotcha. interesting. It, n- not a criticism. I, I didn't notice, but yeah. I I would love to hear when you point it out. But hey, you know, nerdhound, n- nerdhound, lorehound, nerdism. You know, yeah. like you know, getting into it. I, so. I like that you get more into the production details, and I stick with my lore, and we just that's we kind of we kind of right. balance it out, you know. Right, dream dream work makes the empire run. Was that it's, <laughs> the empire so. is kind of running still? Yeah, somehow. Uh, okay, so we uh, my list of open questions. And uh, listeners, if you've got questions that you want to throw in on this list, then you know email me, and I'll I'll throw them in here. Um, Gail's vision of the fire and the silhouette—that's closed. We've we've got yep. that answered. We got the mule boy. Uh, we still have some stuff. Uh, I'm not gonna go into these all necessarily because some of them I'll bring them up when they're relevant. But I don't see anything here that is really uh, necessary. I think. We we left all of those open at the last episode, and this episode, I think, was just more laying more track for the season. Right? Yeah. It was a lot of uh, building. So yeah. And so this as is the ten we, episode season, it is right. Yeah, yeah. So we get we got a lot of runway here. We got a lot, of, and these are feeling like solid hour long ish yeah. episodes. Yeah. So I mean, I think he's going to uh, pack it in. So yeah, we'll just keep the question things open, and as they come up, I'll 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 list my new questions at the ends of the episodes. And then as we close things down, we'll we'll touch on those. And then please, if you do have things that I missed and you think that should go on the list, then just email me. All right, ready to get into the episode breakdown. Let's do it. All right. We've got an opening animation. I know you've sort of recapped the opening animation here. Would you like to go through it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I looked at it a little bit uh, closer today. It's definitely different from season one. Mm -hmm. So we open with a black hole, uh, which is the jump drive technology for the Empire ships, right? So it's just a swirling black hole. Mm -hmm. And then we see some Empire starships flying through the sky. Then we close in on an Empress, a, a picture of somebody who looks like an Empress. And at this stage, I'm going to say that it's the Empress who... Uh, Brother Day references when he's sitting in the mural hall talking with Demerizel. Uh, I, I believe the emperor, the empress's name was Hanlo. 
and he talks about her empire, which was bigger and lasted longer and, you know, all of that. Um, so that may be her, uh, or it may be dominion, but I'm, I'm, it's hard to tell. Um, get some scenes of the prime radiant. Then we get some different ships jumping into a planet near a planet with a moon and then a design pattern that sort of evokes the prime radiant, sort of a halo behind it. So that's kind of interesting. Then we see the empire's flag, sort of war torn, sort of battle streamers. We see Cleon's crumbling, you know, which could refer reference the genetic drifting or, or the Cleonic age, you know, coming, coming around. We then get a statue of a woman with a kind of halo around her. And in the background, there's a bunch of pyramids. Hmm. And in the foreground, there are three small figures walking on kind of a hard surface in front of her. So I couldn't tell who this is or what this is referencing. It was very intriguing. Then we get the prime radiant. We go from the prime radiant to Harry Seldon in red with wings. So I think that's referencing the prophet right. and the magicians and all of that stuff. And then we get a torn face showing a skull, you know, the skeleton underneath. Not sure what to make of that. And then we've got the prime radiant hovering over a hand, which is sort of crumbling in the middle. And then to the right, we have the vault and Harry. And then to the left, we have some sort of shield-like object just sort of floating there. So it's like the prime radiant in the middle with these two things on either side. Uh, and the thing to the left, I'm not sure what to make of it because it's just sort of a half domey shield like thing. So, yeah, well, we did see a shield in this episode and we know that Empire's got a weird shield thing. Right. But so, it's it, I don't know. It could just be something that shows up later in the season. I mean, all good stuff here. Nothing, nothing groundbreaking. And, and it's doing what a lot of prestige shows do these years where it's uh, a, a fun, visually interesting. Right. Uh, opening that gives us that evokes and calls out to a lot of what's going on in the show. Right. Very Westworld, very crown, yeah. you know, all these things. So I, you know, I can only think of one opening credits sequence that ever meant anything to the plot. And that was Game of Thrones. And right. I kind of wish more shows would do that, but I'm sure it's a big budget thing. I mean, right. you have to redo your thing every week. That's yeah. crazy. Where, yeah, they're actually telling a story in the credits and changing right. based on the show. That was very cool and innovative. I did like yeah. that. And so. then they just dropped it for House of the Dragon. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's just move yeah, on. Yeah, we'll get these weird. Anyway, yeah, moving on. So, David, this is where we normally say Gail's monologue, but we had an exciting development this week that prevented us from hearing Gail's monologue, if it exists, because we finally got access to some screeners for a show. Yes, and very exciting. That's been a big boon. That's why you're getting this podcast earlier than usual. And um, we're very grateful to Apple for giving us those screeners. But it looks like that the screeners are lacking maybe bits of things like the monologue. Not much. It just seems like there's probably a few post-production details that are probably missing. So, and uh, close captioning as well. So Right. Yeah. Right. So if we misspell something in the in the show notes, then you know why. <laughs> But otherwise, but it's still it should cool. be about the same. Yeah, it is yeah. cool, and and we're able to get the conversation started a little earlier, and that's that's nice. And we hope that people like it. And if you don't, or if you do, let us know. And then if there's a little lag with feedback, you know, just know that we're you know cycling through that and stuff. So right, but yeah. And if there's anything in the in the monologues that comes up that's relevant in the future, then I'll make sure to to sort of throw it in on the next episode. But 
we've got screeners and that's going to make our lives so much easier when we start getting into Ahsoka and Wheel of Time. So, yep, absolutely. All right, let's get into the actual plot summary. We open on Salver's ship with Harry confronting Gale for trapping him. We learn that the two versions of Harry are independent. While Harry laments the lack of a second foundation, Salvor convinces him to help fix the ship to get things back on course. Salvor clears the vents just in time to allow the ship to escape the storm. Mother and daughter embrace. Harry be cray cray. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, though, it was Jared Harris, first of all, amazing performance. <laughs> and I was conscious. <laughs> what do you that think was, was so going to happen when you put me in and you downloaded me into that thumb drive? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, he has a point, right? She, yeah. He's, he's a conscious being. She didn't even consider that. She just took a nap and, he, and he, she woke up 138 years later to Harry just, just angry and deranged. And, and who... Who could have thunk that living alone for 138 years made you a little cuckoo? Yeah. Hmm. Who knew? Who knew? Raish knew. That that we know. Raish knew everything. So he was certainly uh, throwing Raish under the bus for, um, yeah. you, know, he, you know, not letting Gale plead some sort of innocence or, you know, right. claim something. I mean, yeah, Gale did what she did. I think, if anything, he should be mad at race and not mad at her yeah for the things she didn't do right she didn't yeah. know so the plan wrecker has a daughter a lot of great lines here <laughs> he's just so mad about everything <laughs> uh so we we have clear confirmation that there are two harry seldons now yes we do so and by the end of the episode i'm like is the other one a decent guy or right. are we going to deal with a duel between two harry's that will be interesting, and and a and a slightly crazy Harry versus. Uh, well, there were always going to be two Harrys because right he was supposed to go with Raish to establish the second foundation. Right, and the Harry Prime was supposed to be there, just showing up uh, at the vault every you know in front of the crises, uh, or a, and or after crises uh, mm-hmm. occur, so that he can you know, le- you know, inspire you know the termini. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and again, this is really where going back to that whole thing, inspiration versus adaptation, you know, the, the second foundation, what it was for, where it was located. It's all very involved in the books. There's a whole, I mean, there's whole uh, uh, books about this that that go into it that in the later, um, in some of the uh, additional books that he wrote about this. So we really, for those of you who are, big book fans. Yeah, I get it. I, I, I get it. And just realize this is inspired by not adapted by, you know, for so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Leah Harvey, Salvar Harden here finally delivers some solid lines when she's yelling at Harry. Yeah, uh, that was, that was good. I finally felt like she was getting some acting. Yeah. Later in the episode, she's back to the same, like not really acting, kind of just saying the lines and yeah. I, uh, again, I, I'm not going to rail about her performance no, the no. whole season. But. I just I did like her railing at Harry, though. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it, so I get it. The we need some more mother and daughter uh, trauma bonding. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. stuff to happen. Uh, but bashing barnacles with your bare fist. 
doesn't seem like the best idea to me. Well, <laughs> I've never dealt with a barnacle, so fill us in on your barnacle. Well, life. haven't you walked on the rocks at the beach or something like that? They are razor sharp. There's okay. no way you would want to do that. Right. I mean, these are hardened crustacean shell things. They would they would slice your hand apart, and she's bashing them with her fist. I mean, send her out with a crowbar or something to to beat on them. You know, I, I don't know. I just didn't need. This, I, I just felt this was a little bit silly. But she's uh, the great Salver Harden. The great Salver Harden. Not just Salver Harden, but the great Salver Harden. Yeah. So. I Beautiful scene her. when they pop up on the, above the clouds, though. That was yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Again, the, the production of the show is always amazing. Oh, All the visuals stunning. are great. Yeah. And I'll talk about it more, but these scenes were clearly filmed during season one filming, in my estimation. You think yeah. so? Yeah, yell at me if I'm wrong. But when they when uh, when they come up in later scenes, I'll point it out. But I'll I'll talk about it then. But this was all this all felt see filmed from from last season. Okay, all right, I believe you. We then arrive on the planet Savannah in the outer reach, where a mysterious woman rides a strange beast. She awakens a sleeping drunk man and administers a purging solution. They investigate a crucified man as a death threat against the foundation, which points to the local religion. So this beast that she's writing, uh, it's a bishop's claw. Okay. And we saw this in season one. Uh, the first time we saw one was in the hollow suite thing, uh, the hollow deck. Okay. And the Termini, uh, Termini, Terminarians, I'm not sure what we call them. Terminoans, uh, like Kim and Terminoans, that's good. I like that. <laughs> we're writing on the ship and they were doing simulations and, and they, there was one simulation where they were doing some mining, you know, uh, to get some geothermal stuff. And one of them attacked and then uh, somebody shot and blew them all up. So that's the first time we saw one. And Gail tells us that they're endemic to the outer reach. And then when Salvor is doing her patrols and then ultimately discovers the Anacreons, it's a bishop's claw that's been walking around and she finds shot with the arrow from the Grand okay. Huntress. So we also see in the trailer for season two, a bishop's claw on the attack and we see it using its big pincer things. And Okay. I didn't actually watch the trailer for season two. I okay. wanted to go in cold. And even Fair though enough. we have screeners, I should mention that we are not watching ahead. So we are as Fair spoiler enough, yes. free as you are. Yep. No, we're not. Yeah, we're not running ahead. Um, but yeah, so Bishop's Claw. So this Bishop's Claw is going to um, make an appearance later in the in the season for sure. Cool. Other points on this. Did you like this pair? I I, I kind of found this whole plot line a little strange. To be honest with you, I I was confused by it. Uh, I felt that they were trying to go for some humor, and some of it was funny. They used straight up, um, straight up, just normal everyday swear words. Yes, they <laughs> you know, do. Th that was kind of funny. You because you were railing last week about just using if if it's Gail, just spell it G A I L. Don't do me this A A L stuff. Well, well, fuck is spelled with a P H now in this universe. <laughs> exactly. It's not frack. <laughs> It's not Fraggle Rock or anything. It's just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. F. Um, yeah, I, I I wasn't quite sure, and they just dropped it in with very little exposition or explanation. Yeah, I was very confused at first. 
Yeah. Um, I do like the red robe thing. I like the little pendants, the little vault pendants that they're wearing. Yeah. Um, I like I like the idea of this better than I liked the execution. Yeah. Like I like right. the idea that the foundation has evolved into at least a branch of it is a religious cult. Right. That is actively tricking people into thinking that they're magic. There have been rumors of an alliance at the edge of the galaxy led by magicians who glow in the darkness and fly unaided through the air and whom <laughs> weapons cannot touch. That was a uh, Demerzel's, uh, Demerzel's um, uh, oh, right, line right, from yeah. last episode Good when call. she's briefing the brothers. So, so there we go. And I, there I, somewhere. I like the fact that, you know, see episode to episode, they're, they're, they're checking off these boxes, right? Hey, right. we're going to introduce this concept. Boom, here it is. Yeah, because we didn't see the foundation at all last episode, right? Mm, no, just a, uh, just we met the warden and the director right. in front of the vault. Right. So. Yeah. So, so what is the foundation doing? Was the question, and now we know that yeah. they are just as bureaucratic as always, and kind of moving in the direction of empire. So this is uh, high cleric Polly. Uh, where did his name go? At it here. Um, Hi, uh, Polly Verisoff, uh, who is one of the kids that was running around all season one and whom Harry specifically, when he came out of the vault, specifically talked to and introduced. Who are you, young lad? I'm okay. Polly Verisoff, you know, oh, we'll see you again someday or whatever he said. <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, he turns into to being the high cleric for the right. Church of the Foundation. How was so. he alive? It way, you know, you lifespan, you know, the, you got it's easy yeah, but 138 living years. He was what eight or so, so 130, something like that. So, yeah, expanded life, extended lifespans. I don't know because organ they, replacement. The, here's the plot hole though is that earlier, Gail's like, What in 150 years I'll be alive? And he goes, Well, you slept through the last century. He didn't say, like, Well, lifespans are getting longer. And yeah, no, it was, it was, you had to sleep through the next, the next century. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I didn't quite buy that. Well, and if he's jumping around, yeah. Again, I'm I'm trusting the show to have done the math. Uh, yeah, and ma maybe they... he has been. Here's here's I'll I'll give a, an explanation for the show for it. What if he's just going around to different planets in the outer reach? He's often in cryo, going between planets. Exactly. Right. That's that's it's that's exactly what I the kind of where I was going uh, ah. in 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 my head canon as well. So okay, yeah, I think we're on the same base there. All right. Yeah, some of the exposition. When they were talking about the priest that was strung up, uh, was a little bit clunky, and yes. so you know, I know you were you you were saying that you were liking the exposition. This I could just feel the edges here. I was just a little yeah, bit yeah, like, yeah. I got this you. Was getting close. I I was more referring to the empire stuff. The exposition right, yeah. was really clean there. Yeah, yeah, it, it and it seems to always be so. Uh, yeah. The the one thing that I did take away from this uh, this scene though is avoid lightning, John. Just, just avoid lightning. You should avoid lightning. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> On Trantor, Brother Day revisits pre-Cleonic Imperial history. Demerzel reports that no memories of contact with the assassins were found in Dusk or Dawn's minds. Demerzel proposes General Rios to be reassigned to deal with the Foundation. And Empire agrees on the condition that if Rios refuses, she will kill him. While practicing dinner, brothers Dusk and Dawn disagree with Day's decision to free Rios and put him in command. So interesting here that they bring up 
this other uh, empress, uh, Hanlow. And who was she? Why are we referencing her? This may be book stuff from other Asimov yeah. books. Um, yeah. I don't if, know. If you are a book reader, write in and, and confirm. I'm trying not to do too much Googling because it'll be easy to get. You know, I don't know. You know, it's where where to draw the lines on research and, and where not right. to. So, to me, um, I was just taking it as, you know, for face value for someone who doesn't know the books that Cleon Day is just trying to get justification for marrying and creating a tr- more traditional dynasty. Mm, mm-hmm. Dynasty. I'm, I'm in House of the Dragon now. <laughs> yeah. But. And is he a little envious of, uh, uh, you know, it's bigger, it's longer, you know, the, the other empire was bigger and longer than his, so. Well, it's it's still the same empire, right, to my understanding? No, no, different, no, different. Oh. Yeah. See, I thought They're, It I wasn't thought the Cleonic was... dynasty. Sure, sure. But I mean, I thought it was the same government. They just, the last the last emperor of the pre-Cleonic dynasty was Cleon and said, nah, it's just me from now on. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure how the two connect, uh, yeah. but it said, the way that he talked about it, it seemed like it was a separate entity. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong. So uh, interesting that, you know, we're getting a lot of hints being dropped here that memory can be tampered with. So, yes, they had their memories checked and there's nothing there, but that doesn't mean that they didn't remember it because they had their memories wiped before. Right. Right. And then she says, we're going to have the medical staff memories wiped so that they don't, you know, remember us being compromised. And if you remember going back to season one, there was sort of a pleasure gardens uh, situation and all of those people have their memories wiped, right? So they come... Mm sort of, you know, are the, uh, you know, the, it has a, you know, 24 hour, seven day a week, you know, 365 rave going on at the right. Empire's party, you know, uh, you know, so if Empire wants to party, they can just party. Uh, and then none of those people remember anything. So, so lots of stuff about memory here. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I love all the, the playing around with memory here, especially later with Sarath. Yeah. As far as here, do you think it was also that not just that they were compromised with being injured, but trying to wipe the memory of him being intimate with Demersel? Uh, who like day? Wipe wipe the memory of the medical staff. Yes, it was. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, that seems were. like a big no no to everyone, and and I guess I guess day dawn and dusk are allowed to keep their memories of, of it and be like, hey, buddy, shame on you. Right. But everyone else has to forget about it. And the fact that she had half her head sliced off. That too. That too. And the <laughs> she's, fact a that she's a robot, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, they yeah. don't want anybody to know that she's a robot. Yeah, I I, I did check the Reddit's after. Uh huh. Um, after episode one, and a lot of people were saying the same thing as I was saying of maybe she is able to hurt them because, you know, she was able to kill the the compromised brother Dawn last season. Mm-hmm. Maybe she is able to hurt these non, non-pure, impure Cleons. Right, right. Well, and we find out that uh, Day is three centimorgans uh, drift in his DNA. There was a drift in his DNA, which, he, which was then corrected. But his habits are still slightly off. And we learned that in the dinner scene, right? Right, Is exactly. that they have to practice being the same man. They're not mm-hmm. just the same man. You had Brother Don in the previous generation that we saw so stressed because he was left-handed and he didn't have quite the same right. mannerisms right. And, 
and uh and and it was exact stuff right it was something about like the way they move their ear or something like that yeah and here they have to literally practice eating the same way so they we we are being told just through actions that a little yeah very something's wrong and this day wears earrings yeah so you know again marking him as being a a, a different fellow from from previous it's hot empire summer you know he's uh, i'm thirsty i need a tall glass of water tall glass (laughs) of lee pace that's what i'm saying um some good background about bell rios who is going to be played by an actor named ben daniels uh apparently led the super luminal armada uh, and Dawn, or sorry, Dusk is upset uh, about the fact that they've chosen him to be the general who's going to be in charge of dealing with the foundation. So this is a, a pending character. Yeah. So they're dropping uh, the name now, and you know maybe in the next episode or two we're going to meet General uh, Rios. And Dusk is probably the day that put him in prison, right? Potentially, yeah, because he violated his orders, right? So right. So he um, says, well, you you know, I dealt with him and it wasn't great. And you were there. You saw it. And Day goes, ah, it's fine. Demerzel said I should. I think that Demerzel is, is up to something here. I think she is trying to put her people in power. Certainly making. Yeah. It, what, did you didn't detect any jealousy when Day was talking about getting the marriage situation handled when they were still in the. Uh, I, I did detect in, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they I pulled away, right. and then uh, Demerzel gives a long, hard look at the the um, the picture of the Empress in the in the mural. Yes, so that was interesting. So, and the, but the uh, Lee Pace's outburst. Uh, okay, so here's my new hashtag: Void fucked entropy. <laughs> that was just. So good. I was like, yeah. yes, that's awesome. You know, and he's just that he was just amazing in this. His outburst was so interesting. And I just loved watching every bit of his acting. And then when he turns to her and says, Oh, how long did you expect my outburst to last? Like that whole thing was just comedic. Great com, you know, comedic element to to break up the intensity of the scene. Yep. And to really, you know, play their relationship a little bit more. She knows yeah. him so well that she's timing his uh, <laughs> his outbursts. Yeah. And did the previous, did the pure Cleons have outbursts like that? I mean, they were certainly horrible people, but mm. they were very calm and collected. They were right. not freaking I, out. Right, right. They were not so, outwardly yeah, this, emotional. Which is interesting because, you know, Dusk says, you know, you're three centimorgans off or whatever, however infinitesimal that number is. And it was corrected, but yet his habits have not been corrected, right? right? So genetically, you can be within the tolerance that we're looking for, but your personality resting on top of that somehow is different, right? So this whole right. nature versus nurture argument kind right. of stuff. Yeah. And then the acting between day, dawn, and dusk at the practice dinner table. Oh, exquisite. So good. The the comments, the barbs that they're trading between them, the the sort of little jokey stuff. And what does he say? Oh, you know, I've got a history teacher as well as a movement coach. You know, <laughs> yeah. he gets up and walks away. It was so good. Uh, I'm really so 
solid, solid marks for all the Empire storylines from season one through this. It's it's really some of the best uh, that that this genre has to offer. Yeah, yeah, it is. So back on the beggar, the trio debates the cause of the second crisis and how they can prevent it. Harry explains that interfering with natural behavior ruins the math of psychohistory. Gail reveals she has seen into the future to the second crisis, then speculates whether Salver's presence is increasing her power. They determine she needs to look 150 years into the future. So this is where we get into the new filming. So you can kind of tell by the hairstyles, the right. clothing styles, and the physicality of the actors. Their faces are slight, you know, a little bit narrower, a little leaner, complexions slightly changed a little bit. There's just little subtle clues that at least that that's the way I'm interpreting it, that I think this is fresh filming for season two. Uh, clearly the hairstyles are, are, are a big step and that's a hard thing to manage for is, is hair. And I, I like Salvar's new hairstyle a lot better than the <laughs> box thing that she had. Yeah. It before. does look more natural. Yeah. And I really like to see Lulu Bell's face. I like, I like her hairstyle that way. I mean, these are personal preferences, you know, so, you know, you know, give me yeah. my foibles. I hear you. you foible away. Um, so the, so something that was interesting in this scene, well, first off, if Harry's a ship's hologram, why does the door need to open for him to walk into the room? I don't know. You, you I don't get it, David. He's got to, he's got to have an image to maintain. <laughs> yes, I guess. You know, he blinks in and out a couple of times in, in other, in other places. I, I think when, it's probably more, they needed him to, they needed the actor to, uh, yeah, make an entrance. And they were like, well, it'll look better if he walks in than, right, right. <laughs> than just uh, bleep through. So what I found interesting, part of what I found interesting in the scene is, is that it's not only um, Gail's prescience that is uh, injecting a, you know, an un unaccounted for circumstance into the models. It's not only that, it's the love that Raish and Gail had that was messing up the plan. Because Raish right. acted out of love to save her Which when she interrupted. Hmm? Which backfired, of course, because she yes, exactly blamed for the so, murder. <laughs> so if we want to take this into a Jedi context, <laughs> attachments, love. Uh, oh, you know, stop yourself. <laughs> uh, and then Raish so. ended up accidentally killing not just the men, but the women. And the children, yes. too. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. We're going to be covering Attack of the Clones. So if you want more cringy teenage Anakin lines, then you'll have to tune into that podcast. That's right. Interesting, though, about the observer phenomenon, right? So we, they talk about that with, you know, uh, or, you know, physics, uh, you know, you know, uh, the whole, um, oh, I'm blanking now. What's the experiment with the cat and the observer? Schrodinger? The, yeah, Schrodinger's cat. Um, that whole stuff. So that I like that they're, you know, in entering that into the con into our conversation. Yeah. And then that's fun. this concept of power corrupting. Um, but then I'll add to that, you know, bureaucracies justify themselves, right? Oh, let's establish a new agency to do X. Well, that agency is going to fight for their funding and fight for their continued organization. You know, we see the foundation creating a church. The church needs to legitimize itself. And at the board meetings, it's got to argue for its budget and all of that kind of stuff. And then human beings, we like to elevate 
and make gods out of, you know, the people. We still, 20,000 years later, we're still following, um, uh, uh, you know, godlike figures, prophets, if you will. Yeah, there's this book, Sapiens, by Yuval Noah Harari. I don't remember if I've talked about it on this podcast before, but it's very Mm -hmm. popular. It's a very popular anthropological book. And he talks about how humans will always have religions, whether they are traditional God-praising religions, Mm -hmm. or if they are religions like capitalism or nationalism or a country or, you know. Interesting. We will always gather around figures. We will always gather around big ideas. And if we don't gather around a big idea, then we can't operate as a big society. So the question is, Mm -hmm. have we picked the right idea? Not whether we can or not, but have we picked the right ideas to organize ourselves around? Right. The the ideas that um, promote general welfare and sort of bring everybody along, right. or do they concentrate power or wealth in, in the hands of a few, like the AMPTA? Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, that's referencing the strike and the, <laughs> the writers and actor strike. Right. Um, so yeah. So so it's you know interesting that that Harry's utilizing these tendencies specifically in uh, setting up the plan and, and using the, the, the model to, to figure out where humans are going to go and how they're going to operate. Well, this is a factor that humans constantly exhibit, right? That we're going to latch onto these ideas or these figureheads, and then we'll, we'll use them to narratively move ourselves forward. So he creates the new empire basically, and then creates this, he wants to create the second foundation as a counterpoint. So he's creating a backlash to the backlash. Correct. Right. He's he's creating counter uh, uh, tensional forces, one seen and one unseen to uh, to balance uh, the other. So, yeah, it's exactly. kind of like a divided government. Right. Mm hmm. But one in secret and one, one in, yeah, because the idea of the foundation, right? The first thing it did was it absorbed the Anacreans and the Thespans. Right. It adopted their technologies. It adopted their languages. It adopted their, you know, their resources and planets. And then they were able to then expand from there. So as they are starting to grow and eat the empire from the outside, they become their own style of empire. Right. But, you know, even though they believe they have some sort of holy mission, there, uh, but the the idea for that is to, by doing that, we're shortening the darkness, and then that counterforce of the second foundation is the balancing, right? Uh, so that that the first foundation doesn't get ahead of itself, get out of control, get too rapacious, right? Right, right, yeah. And I want to talk more about sort of the morality of the current first foundation, but I want to do that once we get to the board meeting. So okay. why don't we move on for now? But first, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back. Dominion comes to dinner and gets friendly with Brother Dawn. She is very forward, discussing decanting replacement clones and the assassination attempt. She pries into whether there is resentment about changing succession before discussing the loss of her siblings that led to her being an unexpected queen. Day is not deterred by her questions. A lot of great dialogue in this scene. 
I was very impressed. And I was really impressed with the actor for Sarath, who really sold this sort of, I don't know, it, it it's hard to get a read on her because sometimes she sees not that sure of, seems not that sure of herself. And sometimes she seems very confident. Ella Ray Smith, uh, I okay. believe, is the actress's name. And she is a vision. She is She's excellent. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And imagine being a young actor, you know, in her position and being able to be in proximity with Lee Pace and uh, Clarence Mann and, you know, all and then this crew and these writers and the showrunner. What an amazing way to step up onto a thing. And she is killing it. Absolutely. Love her. Yes, she's great. This was a great piece of information to slip in here that she is an unexpected, an accidental queen, let's call yes, her. Yes, right. And we don't know exactly what caused this accident, but we do know that both of her siblings were lost. And she was the one who was left to do whatever she wanted. And she didn't do a lot of serious stuff, it sounds like, until she became queen. So, yeah, this was giving me really big uh, The Crown vibes, uh, especially uh, Princess Margaret uh, when I think it was season three when uh, Helena Bonham Carter played her. Uh, Very much this dilettante party, uh, didn't have to do anything, and then suddenly, oh, you got responsibilities. And in Queen Sarah's case, yeah, it comes with tragic uh, backside to it, right? You know, she lost her whole family. Yeah, it, and it is super tragic, and we don't know exactly why, but we do know that she's been put in an unfortunate situation here. Well, and maybe uh, they were all ice skating on on clouds of methane in the in the in the in the in the, in the planetesimals of the uh, thousand. True. Yeah. Million. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, things are not too safe over there. Um, a lot of great dialogue here. A lot of great sort of implications. This whole. Well, you, the assassination attempt yesterday, oh, it was just a rumor, but you confirmed it, right? Yeah, yeah. That oh. was great. She's got her she, She's got her whisperers. She's got Varys working for her. Seriously well-informed. I think the Cleons should be a little bit nervous. Yes. I mean, I think Demerizel is a little bit nervous. She's not happy about this by a long shot, I think. Yeah, and, and even if it's just a threat to the dynasty. Yeah. When when uh, Day said, "Oh, I'll take you to the Prince of, Principium," I can't. Okay, I can't pronounce that now. <laughs> Prince of Prince I of called something it or another. The Chamber of Lost Clones. The- <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's uh, what's the Mandalorian storyline doing here? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the, these clones are doing better than that one. Than those. Yeah, ones. by 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 far. Well, not for much longer because we're going to have assassination by procreation. But yes. uh, Demerizel certainly was not happy about uh, Day offering to escort her to to see that. And this whole dinner scene too was really funny. Yes, it was. It was the the fact that she's pushing and breaking all these uh, norms and uh, taboos, but then right. just play, oh, you know, I'm, hey, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. beautiful and I'm smart. <laughs> and you have Day just desperate to get her approval. And so he's mm-hmm. just, she has an analytical mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> so good. Stuff. It's, and I, I will say, you know, it's one thing to be funny. It's another thing to be funny in the right tone for a show. Yes. And this was that. 
and exactly. more so than waking up a drunk guy and pumping him with, you know, puke juice. In the sole of his foot, too. <laughs> In the sole <laughs> of his foot. It's like a baby. That's where babies get shots. Oh, man. No, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, the the the, the humor here is is really outstanding. They're really nailing this whole storyline. Yes. Yes, it, they are. Um, I Did you get some chemistry between Sarath and Day? Sorry, Dawn. Dawn. Yes, definitely. She was definitely vibing with him. She was giving him a little. She, I think she, she was touched his arm. Some little at one touches. Point. Yeah. She yeah. Was hey, come. Like, we'll do yeah. some methane ice skating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we leave that to the younger ones with stronger <laughs> knees. You know, we we praise Lee Pace a lot for changing personalities with the different days, but I think that the other two are doing great too. You know, yeah. day, day dusk. And Dawn do really well as well. And this Dusk is a lot more, I think, sure of himself, a lot more sarcastic, a lot more grumpy than the previous dusk, Dusks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I really I'm really enjoying it. I mean, kudos to Terrence Mann and to, oh, I don't have the current Dawn's name in front of me. I do. It is Cassian Bilton. Thank you. That is correct. Yeah, there he is. Uh, just such good acting, being able to play the same character, but change faces. Yeah. Change just a little the, bit. Change enough oh, to make it unsettling. So yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this whole storyline is going to run. Same here. So Day escorts Sarath to see the clones who may never be. Sarath asks if Demerzel has her own clones, and Day tells her that Demerzel has her own arrangements. He explains that his memories are always being transferred to the replacement day, with only the death and replacement edited. We learn that extra clones will be killed once Day and Sarath have children. Sarath mentions rumors of genetic divergence, speculating that this is his motivation for marrying. Again, great exposition here. This idea that I, I love this performance by Lee Pace because as he's explaining that they erased the death so that he wouldn't remember being replaced in the expo, they're called exponents. The yes, the yes, additionals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As he explains that he, you can see the gears turning in his head saying, was that successful yesterday? Mm-hmm. No, oh, right. 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 Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, totally. His face he could have been killed and he wouldn't have it. known. And and he's like, yeah, no, you wouldn't remember being killed. He's, he slows <laughs> down know. a little bit. That's so good. Oh, so good. I'm gonna have to go back and and catch that again. Yeah, so, that was super good. Super yeah. great performance. This whole thing too is so f- fascinating. I mean, we talked we touched on it a little bit during the dinner scene, but assassination by procreation. Oh, well, you're gonna be my sister. Oh, is that what we're going to be? Oh, right. you know what? You you suddenly are married, and now you have a. Uh, uh, a regent, you know, uh, old, you know, the, the, the retired King floating around, you have the, the cut branch of the, the soon to be and, and children. And it's fascinating to take. And we, yeah, we, we take the crown and we take, um, I'm sorry, not the crown, but uh, game of Thrones, uh, house of the dragon. All of that is about this succession stuff. Succession and is also about succession. Succession right. as well, right. absolutely. <laughs> so it's a real zeitgeisty thing. I I don't know. I you know I'm feeling, and their way that they're playing with it here is 
so interesting. Yes, it is. And yeah. and I really love the deftness at which they're going through the various implications and making us think about this stuff. The 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 tête-à-tête that they have sparring over empire's weakness. Oh, but you're weak. Oh, but you know, uh, a, a well-trimmed ship, you know, needs a light touch. All of this about um your empire is crumbling. Do you need me more than I need you? Right. And then if we get married, what's going to happen to your genetic legacy and to your dynasty? Oh, it's so fascinating. It is. And I I honestly don't know if Sarah plans to go through with it at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. I could not tell you. I, I would not make a bet either way at this point. You mean she doesn't want to have her genetic material swirled in a test tube by some scientists? <laughs> you know, to hey, you know, it's it's not uncommon even in our world. But That's true. That's true. We just yeah. had some extended family who had a surrogate, um, and it's it was just it's so great that surrogate was involved, and it's, it's really uh, amazing what what can be done. A lot of ways to make families, right? That's right. Um, just don't be cruel to the public and have a public consummation of your relationship. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, Lee Pace again, very seductive in this scene to the public, and uh, <laughs> when he, even when he's leading her into the room, call me day, right? right? Just very, <laughs> very deep voice that he just wants to. You mean, call but me he day. sees right, she sees right through him, and I think that unnerves him a little bit because she's got right. a lot. But he of keeps power. it cool. He does he keep keeps it cool. It cool. Not surprised he's worn out was her joke when she walked in to see the the prime Cleon. That was hilarious. Yep. Standing on his feet all this time. Mm-hmm. And then she says, rejoice. His shame remains unknown that he had almost sat a throne. Um, so it's an illegal limerick about uh, an uprising. And that, right. the way she casually drops, oh, it's illegal for me to say this, but I'm saying it in front of you, and right. in this, in in the innermost sanctum of sanctums of Empire's domain. But she didn't say it in front of dust, did she? Because no. Empire banded decades ago. <laughs> who was in charge decades ago was Dusk. Well, and Dusk would probably be the one to hold to the. Oh, we've got to hold on to to tradition and you know whatever. Right. Well, this day off with her head. Break it exactly. Right. Right. So back on Savannah, Brother Constant prepares a show for the locals. She is almost captured by those who believe her to be a heretic, but the cleric or the spirit comes down to uh, her rescue <laughs> with levitation, fireworks, and an overall B-minus magic show. The show is meant to pull <laughs> planets away from Empire and to join the Foundation. Constant and the cleric are pulled away by a message from Terminus that the vault has opened. Uh, I think it's Brother Constan. Oh, yeah. For, I, yeah. The the review that was ahead that it had her as Brother Constant. But. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm yeah. just going off the Google cast uh, list. Okay. You know, so. maybe, maybe you're right. I'm, I'm, why don't we just do soft tease? Okay. <laughs> in the future. I'm leaving this in. All right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course you yeah. are. Yeah. So. Since, since folks, since we have screeners, they have no subtitles. So right. we're we're a little blind on spelling here. The market scene felt very inspired by Central South American culture, which I found really refreshing because a lot of times market scenes are very sort of Middle Eastern or uh, uh, European uh, medieval uh-huh. inspired. And this felt very uh, fresh in, in yeah, that way. Did. 
And one of the things that I'm really appreciating about this show and the kind of show that he's making uh, from what I can just see on the surface is that the casting is diverse so that humanity looks, you know, diverse and locations and all of these things. So I, I feel like they're really doing a good job of hiring the right people for the parts, regardless of, you know, what they're supposed to look like according to the story or any of that sure, kind of bullshit, yeah. right? Good actor, play the role. Awesome. You know, what kinds of scenes and scapes might we be inspired by? Oh, Central and South American because it works on this world. Okay, cool. Let's use that. I, I really appreciate the the wideness with which they're um, yeah. building this this world these worlds. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of class politics in this mm-hmm. universe, but I I think that it's less focused on. I don't even want to say culture or race because culture you have the Anacreans, but I think I think less focused on race than our own world is in right. terms of politics. Yep. Yep. Did you clock the guy who was taking pictures with his eyeball? No, I didn't. Yeah. That's fascinating. So when she walks in originally and Oh yes, kind of, yes, the older man, right? Mm-hmm. And he taps his, his temple and the, there's like a little red flash in his eye. So I'm I'm guessing that he's the, you know, a spy of the empire, right? They said they're right. going to send some assets out out there to figure out what's going on. So I think that's clear. And what um, better way to disguise yourself than in an angry mob? Yes, exactly. Interesting that this whole thing of as empires contracting, all these agricultural technical services that are being provided, you know, helping with pest control and weather control and, you know, crop genetics, all these kinds of things, which we, even in our world today, in our, in, in our earth, the, the fact that um, there are these technical services that are checking that our, our food is healthy and, you know, that certain chemicals aren't coming into, to our consumables and, and stuff. That is a huge function of government and yet it remains largely unseen. And so when it's absent, right, that it has a real impact. And so very interesting that foundation is using that, you know, they've been gone a century. You guys are suffering, you know, asking any of these other worlds that are, are benefiting from our, our scientific uh, assistance, we can provide you with these basic things yeah. which are going to improve your quality of life. But we learn later, it's not it's not a free gift. They end up right. being <laughs> kind of militarized. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So reminds me it, a lot of what, you know, the US did in parts of Japan after World War II, right? Uh-huh. You know, Okinawa. Create a military base, really make it a big military island, and right, and uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate because they don't tell you that part, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't tell you that part when they're going in. And then there's the the cost of having that kind of uh, institution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it destroys the local know. environment. It, right. it disrupts cultures. It warps, yeah, warps the culture around it. Yep. So yep. Um, during this whole magicians act. And they're talking about uh, science stuff, but selling it with uh, as magic. It really made me think of the Arthur C. Clarke quote: uh, "Any sufficiently advanced technology is in- indistinguishable from magic." Right. And I thought that was a very interesting thing. I don't know what the relationship between Clark and Asimov was, but they are, I think, the three. 
you know, of the three grand old men of, of science <laughs> fiction writing, it was Clark, Asimov, and I believe Heinlein was the other th third. Okay. For sort of a golden age of science fiction writing, these guys were prolific. Like hard science fiction. Hard yeah, science yeah. fiction, just cranking I was going to say, books. I like Vonnegut, but that's not hard sci-fi. That no, is That yeah. is uh, a lot a lot softer. Even though I think he was a contemporary of them. Um, yeah, he was. He was yeah. writing in the from like the 40s to the early 2000s. Right. But yeah, these guys were just cranking out the volumes. It was the days of pulp fiction, right? You know, cheap paperbacks, trade magazines, these kinds of stuff. So um, I don't know what the relationship there specifically is, but this idea of, of magic and science and then having the Church of the Foundation shooting sparklers from their fingers to wow the audiences was a really fascinating concept. Yeah, it was. And like I said, B minus magic show, but also <laughs> I've, I've seen a magic show and yeah. Um, I, I think it's, I think this is what's driving the alcoholism of, right. Uh, of, of the high cleric of Polly. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, he, you see later, he's like, we're, we're, putting on the show i don't even want to do this this is silly and i want to give these people a better way of life you want to establish military bases right and that's right. not what we signed up to do that's not the pure meaning of the foundation he's the only one who was there for the beginning of the foundation and jumping ahead a little bit because he gets into this when they have the board meeting thing that you know he did meet harry harry actually spoke to him mm -hmm. and He's sort of living with the burden of this legacy of having that, having had that happen. It kind of reminds me of, you know, what happens with child stars, right? You know, they get a lot of fame, a lot of attention, well-known in public. And later on, for a lot of folks, that doesn't work out so great, you know, and, and you're sort of suffering for the fact that you, oh, you're that person who, you know, played so-and-so right. on TV. Right. Oh, you were the one who talked to Harry Seldon. Oh, you're so great and wonderful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you, you know, that that's psychologically stressful. And then so you start to medicate. And Yeah. Yeah. So this jump that they do to go back to Terminus. Yeah. Looked very Star Wars to me. Oh, yeah. Very, very Millennium Falcon about to, to blast through hyperspace. And, right. <laughs> yeah. But I did like the sleeping patches. That was pretty cool. Right. We know that they've moved past cryo, right? They can just yeah, go to sleep they just, now. Boop. Yep, go to sleep. Uh, and the fact that they have jump technology is a clear threat to the Empire. That's so, true. I didn't even put that together. That's Yeah. That is an issue for them. Because that was the thing that they always kept. One of the ways that they kept control before was they they had a monopoly on jump technology, and everybody else had slow slow ships. Um, but if you've got jump now, that is that's that's challenging our ability to um, to maintain dominance. Right, right. Yeah, it is. Let's get back to the beggar, David. Sounds good. Gale deprives herself of oxygen to see 150 years into the future. Once there, she is in a war-torn city being chased by a man with a stun gun. When he captures her, he seeks the location of the second foundation and Gale's mentalics. He looks inside her mind to see her younger self, says she is from before Hober Mallow in the Age of Empire. Gale wakes up with choke bruises from her confrontation and calls the man the mule. She realizes the location, 
the mule was trying to pull out of her was the planet Ignis and the group heads there. You know, we were watching this while people were chatting about the mule on the Discord, because I guess that's a huge character in the books. Huge character in the books. Yep. And we won't spoil that on the podcast here. So we'll only talk about the mule as we see him on okay. screen. I don't know anything about the, the book mule, so I right. can't spoil it for you. Right. There you go. I will not. I will. Not, I will be very careful to not say anything about the mule. But but very interesting that I think people were upset that he wasn't included. So okay. I, it just seems on the Discord, I, I didn't click on all the spoiler tags because, again, I don't want to spoil myself for the books. Right. But I did click on some of them because I get curious. And it seems like people were really passionate about, you know, this was the threat to the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And and this was a threat to the, the galactic order or whatever it is. And so to see them bring in at least the name Mule gets me excited that they're going into a big concept in the book here. So in the books, I believe um, some listeners uh, can definitely correct me if I'm wrong. It may be in the middle of the second uh, book where the mule gets introduced. Uh, And when in the first episode of season one, Gail's monologue, she mentions the mule. And I think everybody who's a book reader was like, right away, whoa. Oh, so they they did mention the mule before. They dropped the mule right at the beginning of of season one. So we knew he was coming. And I think Goyer does that on purpose, right, to to hook book readers to say, right. yeah. But, you know, that's also a good storytelling technique, right? Yeah. To, I mean, I forgot about it by then. Right. You know. It's, but it's, it's, it's there. So, yeah. So, really big character, really pivotal. It'll be interesting how they play him because they may be making some differences in the books from what I can see. There's a reason for his name and, and all kinds of stuff. So, I think that will all get revealed. Okay, cool. What do you think of this sequence in general? That said, I was going to say the mule looks like tech from Bad Batch, from the Star Wars <laughs> animated show Bad Batch. He's, uh, he's got goggles like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pour one out. Um, yeah, I oof, I don't know. It was a little clunky. It's a little. I could kind of see that they were in a soundstage and they were doing stuff with the flame and smoke machines. Well, I, I liked like- it. The, I like the bodies <laughs> hanging, you know, in the sort of in the in the in the background and stuff. Oh, you know, you get David pissed off with the smoke machines. You just throw him a few hanging <laughs> bodies, bodies and, it's, it's and all he's good. all good again. Uh, Gail had Raish is ni- the knife that Raish used to kill Harry. Oh, yeah. That was the, ra- the knife that she had in her hand, yeah. the one that looked like it. Um, really weird that I and I don't know where they're going with all of this, but Gail is quote unquote remembering the future, but the mule can interact with her memory in the future and and so then they learn the location of the second foundation. Because Which is the reason the second foundation gets founded. That, right. It's this like loop yeah. thing. It's crazy. As, as they say in Doctor Who, it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yes, it's very wibbly wobbly timey wimey. And when they're sitting there, ooh, don't you hear? It sounds like Ignis is calling us. Yeah. <laughs> I was that, like, was, that was very, very silly. Yes, I yes, just, I agree with that. I didn't need that line. It did it I added did not. nothing to this. I did. It added nothing to this. They just had they you know, again, I don't want to blame 
the actor for Salver Hart. No, 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 right, right. For this, but the writing that they're giving her is not at the same level as great. the writing that they're giving Lee Pace. Right. Uh, or, 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 uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, why am I blanking Harry Seldon's? Uh, Jared Harris, Brother Harris. Yeah, yeah. Or even Lou LaBelle, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Jared Harris. I mean, killed this episode. He was yeah. he was great in every scene, but especially at the beginning, I just loved watching him freak out on Kale. <laughs> what did you think he was gonna do to me? <laughs> uh, yeah. I really like Gail's cross connection uh, with the sleeper from the Synaxian religion. You mm-hmm. know, this the sleeper the sleeper no longer sees her because she doesn't have her stones in her eyes, right? You know, the sleeper dreams, the dreams, dreaming of the future, the sleeper dreams, the world kind of like, um, oh, what's the Hindu God where the the lotus flower comes out of the belly button and that's the world. I um, cannot think right now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this idea that there's this, you know, creative force and uh, you see it, it sees you. And so that that this idea that her visions come from the sleeper, but she was kicked out of her religion for right. being heretical uh, because she was pursuing math, but the math is what allowed her to, you know, see, yes. be the sleeper, see the sleeper. So, yeah, it's a lot of circular reasoning in the show, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I do love the, the interconnections as well. Yeah, me too. Uh, the mule is very scary. Yes. I, yes. I, I I'm going to say this. I still don't know how I feel about telepathy in the show okay. and how I feel about the future and past visions. It seems like that is something from the books. That seems like it's not made up for the show. Am I wrong about that? I can't remember about the prescience or the, uh, you know, forward or back. Uh, I don't know what backward visioning is called. Memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but seeing somebody else's, somebody else's past is, yeah. is different too. Yeah. So I don't remember how much that played in the books, but the the mentalex and mentalics and the mule, yeah, they're this that's all very scary stuff that happens in the books. What do okay. you make of the mule's power? It's interesting, but I, again, I you don't know I don't enough know. yet. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I think that most of this show feels very sciency to me, mm-hmm. and feels very hard sci fi to me. Okay. Even, you know, the weird stuff with the clones, there's always a machine doing it. There's always some science behind it, even if it's fake science. And this is these things are like the unexplained things that I don't know if I like because it feels a little bit jarring compared to the rest of the show. So I'll say that the mule has a grounded reasoning that I think will be fine. It'll be less jazz hands. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Gale though I that's jazz hands like that, yeah. I, there's no way <laughs> that there's not an explanation that there is an explanation for that that will satisfy me maybe I'm wrong but it's it gonna just be tough. feels like it's gonna be tough feels like it's just and then magically she saw the future right <laughs> through asphyxiation right yeah they they Stress. they did almost I thought they were about to recreate a Stranger Things scene and put her in the bath and. And uh, do sensory so deprivation. I didn't understand why she wanted to sit in the center console, but then she did that so they could spin the camera around, which was fine. Right. Because <laughs> right. why don't you just sit in a normal chair? You're going to yeah. asphyxi- asphyxiate. Oh, God, I can't. Asphyxiate. Asphyxiate. You're going to you starve yourself of oxygen. When you want to strap yourself into a chair so that when you pass out, you don't, you don't fall off to the side or whatever. No time. 
<laughs> no time. I got to jump in the middle of the, years. the console. But hey, from a you know to spin the camera around, you you had to do it. I did it's really fun. enjoy the camera spin. That's good. Yeah, and every revolution, there was a additional detail of the sort of fire and blood scene being brought in. So it was very cool. Yeah. On Terminus, Constant reunites with family, and the cleric, whose name is High Cleric Polly Veseroff, attends a board meeting where he is told he will not meet with Selden, but will instead recite a homily while the warden meets with Selden alone. We learn that the religion is called the Church of the Galactic Spirit and is being used for recruitment by the Foundation. They reveal that the reason he will not be allowed to meet with Selden is actually his alcohol problem. (laughs) Which, I don't know if a hologram can smell alcohol in your breath, but it would be nice to have him just there to uh, to say hi. But then again, he wouldn't have had a great time either. It seems like, <laughs> it, you know, and it, but it also goes to all this veneration that they're applying to the prophet and to, yeah. you know, this like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, we, we need people of power to speak to people of power. Right. And so, right. yeah, you really felt the political jockeying uh, uh, amongst yeah. the, the various factions here of the foundation. You know that, you know, he he evokes Salver Harden in the next scene. Yes. If he met Salver Harden, he would not be friendly to her at all. He would be <laughs> completely dismissive. Of no, her. these guys are jerks, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're on the rise. And I think that's the point is they are becoming empire. They are becoming too big for their britches. They think they're they're the the coolest, the greatest thing since sliced bread. The director and is very excited for war. Right? Yes, he he's, is. He's looking very um, uh, uh, General Hux uh, yeah. in his long Spe- black jo- jacket. Speaking of, so he's Constance's dad. Am I reading that right? And so yes. is the man who greeted her at yes. the door. They so are, she's got they two are a couple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I was I was not sure at first because they didn't make it fully clear, but I think I think that's right. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. And again, they're just playing. You know, hey, humanity. You know, thousands of years of history where we right. look a, a lot of different. We could turn ways a sperm or, into an egg. Or, yeah. Or maybe they didn't. Good. Maybe they did a. They had a uh, another the same way that Harden was born. Right. Like yeah. the, the transplant. Just swirl around a test tube. Right. Because yeah. that's what Empire we got. We got test tubes for days, into. guys. We'll be fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you notice in the boardroom there was a ceremonial robe in the background of the director? Some of the shots of the director. I'm pretty sure that that is the robes that the provincial ambassador Zandam was wearing from season one. So remember when the Anacreans and Thespians were coming in to see Empire? Yep. And then the one dude made a joke about the. Um, the murals as they were walking through and Demerizel says, oh, did you have something to say, uh, you know, uh, uh, provincial ambassadors and him? So he hmm. was wearing sort of a, 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 I don't know what you want to call it. The, the headpiece was kind of this drapey robe thing. And so if you see in the background when the director's talking, there's this shape there. And I think that's the, if it's not the same, it is one of similar make uh, of what the Anacreans were wearing. Hmm. That's interesting. I love those little world building details. It's kind of like having the um the the Nabooian things in uh what's his name? Luthen's shop in and Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Oh, did, it wasn't Pod one of Padme's uh, headdresses. Something there like that, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, there's tons of stuff. So um 
So the church selling salvation, but it's really a way for the foundation to militarize. How cynical yeah, I don't is love that? that. <laughs> I mean, the the Crusades are a nice blueprint to follow. <laughs> right? <laughs> they they went on quite a long time. Yeah, and yeah, the director seems pretty excited, and uh, yeah, war is inevitable here. And I think we saw in the trailer we see some stuff that could potentially lead to that. You know, yeah, that th- they're they're heading for that. Wasn't this a thing in Game of Thrones where they said, you know, the the young generation who never knew war is the one that craves it? Yes. Yeah. So summer yeah, children, sweet thing. summer children. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other details. Um, the warden, if you did miss it, the high cleric Polly, um, the the warden does sort of uh, give some exposition about him being the one, the kid that was there. He does say that okay. in, the, in the board meeting. Um. I'm not sure, but I think it's the Anacreon language. So when um, Brother Constant meets her dad as they get off the ship, they, they're they talking to each other in another language, and I'm pretty sure that that was the Anacreon language. Okay, so, I buy that. Uh, interesting that they incorporated that and are carrying that forward. Uh, Brother Constant also notes that the bishop's claw is in the hold of their ship. And tell somebody to be careful about that. So that is uh, the bishop's claws in play. Okay. Um, and I have to say that the foundation ship, their ship, when it comes out of jump, I go back and look at that scene. It is beautiful. The little triangle that it comes shooting out of, and there's this like long line extending. It's visually just absolutely stunning. There's nothing to complain about with the visuals on this show. It mostly. is. All the best sci-fi uh, porn that we want. It has it all. Yeah, it does. Well, let's close out the episode. We got a couple more scenes. At the vault, the warden makes a grand speech invoking the name of Salver Harden before attempting to walk into the vault. The warden levitates and shouts the name of Hober Mallow several times before disintegrating. The name Hober Mallow is then burned into the vault. So Terrifying. Yeah. In the board meeting, uh, the warden is like, hey, you know, this this ripe melon, you know, it's going to burst. And I was like, yeah, somebody's going to burst. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did. Woo. He was was he looking very James T. Kirk for you there with yeah. his shirt off yeah. and being all studly and sidearm on. And yeah, it was kind he of looks like James Kirk. Wasn't there an episode where there was like a an evil clone of James Kirk and he was Oh yeah, mirror around. mirror. Yeah. So, yeah, I think see I watched uh, I watched a little bit of uh, the original series and yeah, you. that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. <laughs> uh I loved how the warden was talking to the ghost, you know, I walk behind you and you know, uh, all this very obsequious and uh, uh deferential language it was really hilarious. Yeah. Very rehearsed. Very, mm-hmm. very, very rehearsed. And, but that's the thing. Like, if you wrote this as a serious piece of dialogue in the show, it would be silly. But the way that it fits that character so well of this very rehearsed speech that's very grandiose is perfect. It really I'm fits. I'm really appreciating the the way that they're balancing the humor with yeah this, the hard sci-fi and the serious concepts and yeah. sort of big things. I was things. rolling my eyes with this with this whole speech, but <laughs> but in a good way, right? right? Like exactly. they were writing with the voice of this this pompous character, who who did meet a terrible end. And the question is, oh, there are a lot of questions, but who yes. is Hober Mallow? Yep. Who the heck is Hober Mallow? And 
is Harry in that vault anymore or is it something else? Because sure. something destroyed him. Uh, well, the vault did. Right. And uh, right. I, I, Harry is the, a, a digital imprint of Harry is there. I think that we can just without even knowing book or whatever. Right. I think that's just that's just clear that that he's in there. He's not left or anything. So um, but it's yeah, what is the vault is mysterious. The vault is is trying to drive a plan forward. And so Hober Mallow is a book thing. Don't Google it. Okay. Uh, it's going to spoil me immediately. Don't learn about if you, yeah, if you don't know anything about the books, you haven't read the books, don't go Googling uh, Hober Mallow. Uh, Good to know. Because I, I think it'll, it'll really quickly, you can fall down some stuff. So we had the mule say, hey, you, are you from before Hober Mallow? Mm -hmm. And then we have the vault asking for Hober Mallow. So who is Hober Mallow is now one of our new questions that we have in our open question list. I like it. It's a nice mystery, I think. Yeah. And the, it was how crazy sinister to have it sort of spray painted, you know, in a weird way yeah. across the vault. It, was, it almost looked like Mallow. lightsaber burning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was very sinister. Well, let's head back with our girls on the beggar one more time. Gail confesses to Salber that in her vision, she turned to her side and saw Salber lying dead next to her. And, you know, I, I was thinking maybe they tried to do a fake out with, oh, she was really just asleep or unconscious. No, that was that looked pretty dead. That pretty did dead. look pretty dead. They showed it to us. They let us know that they are not faking us out. So the question is, will this vision definitely happen mm -hmm. or is this a vision of the future that is subject to change? Right. On the other timeline. Right. I just took it as more uh, uh, mama trauma bonding. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I I didn't mind this. I didn't mind this whole thing okay. of of finding out that she might die at this point. You know, it, it adds some stakes for Salvor, some personal stakes. Yep, yep. So, so yeah, I'm big good, open question. Yeah, big open question about the timeline future. I'm not leaving that as an open question because that's just like a, that is a that's the plot. Right. Uh, the right. open questions are more sort of little details. I think the other one that I've added is what, where is Ignis? So right. we'll add those to our, our two open lists. All right. Well, cool. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we will do listener feedback. And we're back. David, hit me up with some listener feedback. And Sounds reminder, you can good. send feedback to empire at the lorehounds.com or post in our Discord, tweet at us, do whatever you want. Right. Just send us your missives. First up is Loremaster, friend of the pod, Doov71. He wrote into the empire at the lorehounds.com. Doov says, Hey guys, thought I would email some feedback in if only to escape the Lee Pace thirst trap on Discord. <laughs> there was a lot oh, of uh, I participated Lee in it. <laughs> oh, I, it looks like he called out me and Alicia. So yeah, he did. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Anyway, continues. Uh, like the both of you, I rewatched season one just before season two started, and I really enjoyed hitting it in two episode chunks and felt the story flowed much better on the second watch. Yeah, I agree. I thought my rewatch, I enjoyed the show overall uh, better than I did on the initial watch. Good, good. 
Yeah. On episode one of the new season, my thoughts were very much on how the decision of Brother Day to marry and actively sire children will have a massive impact on empire, both the dynasty and the socio-political structures. We could see in future episodes or maybe season three, how the children of empire clash with the genetic dynasty definitely feels like a crisis event at some point. So I think as a crisis event, something that the foundation is going to, you know, one of these successive crises. Yeah. Although I think this was after episode one, you wrote in Dove, and and now we know that the dynasty is going to end. Like we are getting rid of the other clones other than the existing dawn and dusk. That's the plan. Sure. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. That might not happen. That's right. Yeah, and to 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 remove the clones and the the uh, the exponents, that is that is a really big deal. And the fact that right. you can be killed, you're killed. That's it. You know, you're actually it, dead. He's mortal for the first time. That's right. So, which is an interesting thing because part of what Hell uh, Harry was railing at uh, uh, against the genetic dynasty at the beginning was that there is no, there's nothing new. You're holding on to something and and perpetuating a stagnation, right? And and this is a big story, uh, a, a, a big message within the latter books of Dune is you've got to have this variation. You've, life has to be innovating and be challenged and be real in the moment because that forces the genetic diversity and the and, and the diversity of thought and innovation and culture. And if we don't, if we're not constantly expanding and developing that way, then we stagnate. And if we stagnate, then we're boxing ourselves into um, into a, a not only genetic but also culturally uh, to a, bl- a box canyon, right? A dead end. Right. Right. So, all right. Uh, great point from John on uh, Demerzel's programming potentially enabling her to work against Empire. She's the last of her kind, but is she? Uh, with the primary agents uh, achieving sentience, the universe has two AIs now, and they are bound at some point to meet. Perhaps the prime radiance interest in humanity is not so benevolent. Interesting point. I could see an alliance between Demerzel and the prime radiant. Is mm-hmm. Demerzel still religious? That's a question. Is she still is- Mad that her kind were wiped out by the humans, right? Is she still mad about him taking? I think she knew. She's very smart. She knew that the previous Cleon stole details of her religion to embarrass someone, uh, embarrass somebody devoutly, you know, part of the, right. the triple goddess religion, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I don't, I don't think she ever forgave him for that, and I think she, she has does, perfect recall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Is you can't you can't have anger fade when you have perfect recall. Uh, and this this whole romance with the current day, how much is that? You know, day does say to dusk she initiated. Interesting. Right? So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. I I didn't pick up on that. So yeah, is she is she part of some kind of plot to take down the empire now? Right. Or is she is she working on her programming because she sees a, a threat to what she's been programmed to protect. Right. A lot or of questions it, about this, about this motivation here. Yeah. Big time. 
All right, he continues, on the tale of two Harrys, we have the more stable Harry of the vault, committed to the plan, the embodiment of the Godhead, the benevolent dispenser of wisdom to the foundation. <laughs> I hadn't picked up on the visual cues on Terminus of quasi-religious attendance, so good catch, David. Well, thank you very much. And now we have it in full, uh, full view this episode. Uh, versus the traumatized, vengeful Harry in the prime radiant, still committed to the plan, wanting to establish the second foundation, but more petulant and perhaps under the influence of the prime radiant. See, now this episode, I want to reverse that because uh-huh. I think that well, Harry in the prime radiant was a little more traumatized at first. He had has seemed to compose himself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he seems like he's kind of the more level-headed one, whereas the vault is the one where I'm like, eh, if there's Harry in there, what's he doing? Right. Why did he just roast uh, the yeah. warden? So Right, right. All right. Finishes off just initial thoughts, but glad to have a deep dive format back for a TV show, which is definitely appointment viewing and adapting a book series that some of us consider the er text of modern science fiction space opera. Looking forward to two. I'm off for my Imperial workout. (laughs) Not that, John. (laughs) Stay thirsty. uh, Enjoy the Empire's Peace. Doove71. Doove, thank you so much. You are a great part of our community, and we're so glad to have you, and please keep writing in. You were going to say something, John. Oh, I was going to say, he's referring to an exchange where I I had not even watched the new episode, the episode one yet. I was still on the last season and I was watching the the episode where he walks the spiral and uh-huh. he's, he's, he's shirtless and shredded and I was like man can I get can, can I get the uh, imperial workout regime maybe Demerzel is a personal trainer and Alicia <laughs> had watched the new episode and said well she certainly works him out right <laughs> and so that's what do is referring to which is see we have fun on the discord come we come do join us we do have a good time All right. uh, Jeff wrote in using the contact form at lorehounds.com. Just listen to your review of the first episode of Foundation. Thelorehounds.com. Thank you. So let me say that again. Uh, Go to thelorehounds.com. There's a contact page um, or a contact us page. And then on there, there's a contact form. Jeff says, just listen to your review of the first episode of Foundation. John compared Harry Seldon yelling to a scene of Dumbledore yelling at Harry Potter. Not sure if you purposely made this comparison, but in the first two Harry Potter movies, Dumbledore was played by Richard Harris, who is Jared Harris's father. Ah. Father's roommates, college, best friends, dogs, <laughs> groomer. There um, you go. So there may be a reason their screaming people's names are so familiar. <laughs> I have to disappoint you, Jeff. I was referring to a scene with Michael Gambone, who was the second Dumbledore. Uh, but bom, And that was in, in the fourth Harry Potter movie. But I had no idea that Richard Harris was the father of Jared Harris. That's fascinating because they're, they're very different vibes to me. Jared Harris is a lot more yelly. But at the same time, I only saw Richard Harris as Dumbledore and he was towards the end of his life there. And he was, I think, slowing down a little bit. So I don't know. Maybe he, in his prime, he was a lot more Jared Harrisy. All right. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, thanks for writing in and hope to hear from you again soon. And thanks for uh, being a active listener. Yeah. Lastly, we have Rocky Zim on the Discord. Um, mentioned this uh, in relation to the official Apple TV companion podcast. And I'll just make a note about that. That podcast drops at the same time as the episode becomes available. 
and so since we're doing these, we'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll listen to these official ones, but afterwards. So, you know, I might, we might bring in some, um, uh, details from the official podcast into the pr- following, yeah. Yeah. uh, podcast episode. Anyway, Rocky says, I was listening to the Apple pod with David Goyer and you know, yeah. And it's Jason Concepcion and David Goyer, the showrunner, but then they're also going to bring in actors and writers and other people into the production. Cool. Um, and, uh, Goyer says that he had the actors who play, uh, Salvor and Gail talk with actual adoptees, adopted children about how it feels when you meet a biological parent. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's so a good way actually, to prep for that. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of crazy stuff that this show will get up to, right? They'll actually you yeah. know, uh, spend 200 hours of Bear McCurry's time to to write the music for the show and right. have Lee Pace train naked to fight off, you know. <laughs> well, but that's the thing fans. also with this is, is when you have a show that is so far in the future – and is so, you know, going hundreds of years in between seasons, you really need to ground it in real experiences, even mm-hmm. if even if they don't arise in the same way they would in the real world. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, then what's even the point? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna relate to these characters. You know, when you when you read the wheel of time, you have to be able to understand what Rand is going through mm-hmm. to be able to empathize with him and enjoy the series. Right. Yeah, interesting. I'm actually uh, adopted at birth myself, so um, I've never made contact with my bio family. I feel I've always known it was always made known to me and made a special part of the you know bio bringing. Right. right. Um, and I, yeah, I I am very comfortable with that. My family is my family. I have thought about contact with bio family and all of that, and then it, sometimes I'm interested to just communicate, you know, I, I don't know if my bio mom, you know, is still around, uh, right. just to say, Hey, it all worked out. Cool. You can like close that loop in your, you know, cause you gotta, I mean, if you, if you do give a child for adoption and you have, and it's a blind adoption at that time, mm-hmm. that's always gotta be a question in the back of your mind. Yeah. But you what, know, what happened? What right? happened with that person? Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's at, fascinating. At the same time, Hey, you know, uh, I'm I'm the uh, a kid that was secretly put up for adoption, and I'm back. Guess what? I'm gonna like rip our family apart because all of these <laughs> secrets start coming out of the woodwork, and you know, right, all of right. this you know stuff. I mean, it can get really it can get really wacky. I think you know the podcast This American Life or the radio show. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really listened to it much, but I've a couple episodes. They've done a few things around in in and around this and related episodes. Yeah, and it can go in a couple of different ways and yes. you know, uh, yeah. so. Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen it go a lot of ways with um, you know, the donor conceived community and whatnot and uh-huh. it is you know, sometimes people are thrilled to hear from you and sometimes they're not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. Well, that's it for feedback. Again, uh, send us email to empire at thelorehounds.com. Go to our website or hit us up on Discord or tweet at us or whatever. Send it by homing pigeon or carrier bird or something. Or send it by that cool thing that they got in uh, with Brother Constant pulling out the... Oh, right. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> the little ticker tape message in the gold. Uh, it, it's, it's like my label maker. It's like it's, it's a fancy label maker. It is, isn't it? That's funny. 
David, it's time for our outro. It is. Let's talk patrons. Let's do that. We do have a Patreon. It's a fun place. We put out a lot of content. We put out all our podcasts ad-free and a lot of them early. I think this foundation one, just because we are doing it with screeners and doing it as early as possible, that's going to be about the same for patrons in public. But everything else is out early, including you know our monthly podcast, which we can get out a little earlier. And uh, we are doing some Patreon exclusives like Second Breakfast, Shireside Chats, you know, our, our Talk About Life podcast, and our Talk About the Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien podcast. So a lot of fun stuff on the Patreon. We do some, We've got stickers. We do some uh, live watches events. Live watches. Yeah. And then you've got your stickers. Just uh, just got some in the mail, right? They are about to be sent to me. They, they're uh, finished off the printing. So, yeah, about that. Uh, everyone who is a subscriber uh, at by the end of July is going to get one of these custom-made stickers. This is a one-off sticker. This is a special thank you sticker for all of your support. We just um, had our one-year podcasting anniversary. It's a major milestone for us because we didn't think we were going to be here doing this. This was not the plan. Um, right. Harry Seldon didn't come to us in uh, in a red robe and and whisper to our dreams <laughs> about becoming podcasters. So we want to just really express our gratitude to our subscribers because you guys have been able to make it so that we can actually do this, continue to improve our professional quality and get softwares and online platforms and do all these kinds of things. So right. we uh, commissioned some custom Tengwar Elvish script. Uh, it's handwritten. Uh, it has our original Lorehounds logo. I've thrown in something now too. I, I'm going to probably post a message on the on the Patreon here in a day or two. You're also going to get the main sticker, uh, but then you're also going to get a second sticker that has uh, the little lion and rabbit from our logo as individual little stickers. You're going to get four of them, two of each, and that so way we'll always be with you. That's right. You know, you can put us on your <laughs> dashboard or on your bike or in your water bottle on the back of your phone, give them to your kids. Um, it's just going to be cool. So we're going to get yeah. those in the mail to everyone who has uh, been a subscriber. It doesn't matter. You could be a subscriber at 11.59 p.m. on July 31st, and you'll still get one of these. Uh, we're never going to sell these. These are not going to be on the merch store, nothing. This is a one-time deal for everyone who is uh, a subscriber at our one year mark. So cool. Well, speaking yeah. of subscribers, yes. we like to thank our lore masters every episode. Those are our top tier patrons and we thank all our patrons, but here's our list of lore masters who get a special shout out as a benefit. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Joyce E, Andra B, Kwang Yu, and Laura G, our newest lore master. Thank, thank you, you all Laura so, so much. Yeah, I know, Laura, you were messaging with her earlier today, right? You sent her a yeah. little thank you text. Yep. Uh, I thank was, you message. When, whenever we get new subscribers, I try to just pop everybody a quick thank you. So. Very nice. Well, thanks. Thanks, Laura. And thanks to all our lore masters. David, you want to Sir. tell us about um, some yes. programming notes, especially yeah. our affiliates. So we'll start off with Alicia and her Woolshift Dust uh, podcast. 
she's going to keep that name. So it's going to go f- going forward. It's still going to be called Wool Shift Dust, uh, even though Silo uh, season one is done. The two things that she's got cooking right now, she's got a Patreon only book club for the Silo series of books. It's a podcast, you know, pay per podcast on the Patreon. So you only pay for the content that you want. They're going full spoilers on the books. You know, the gloves are off. They're going in deep. So if you're a book reader and you're down for that kind of content and that kind of conversation, uh, Alicia, I know the the amount of creativity and effort she puts into her podcasts is amazing. So I think that is going to be a really fun thing for for silo book readers. Then what she's going to do with her Wolship Dust feed is she's going to start getting into the Dune uh, family of uh, podcasts and or of of products. They're going to talk about uh, the the main book Dune, the one the first book. They're going to talk about. Um, well, it looks like she's going the second and the third books. Okay, so it looks like maybe the first trilogy, and then okay. they're going to talk about the different movie adaptations. They're going to talk about some of the video games that have been made from Dune. They're going to talk about a documentary called Yodorowsky's Dune. Cause this crazy dude who was a filmmaker, Yodorowsky was going to make a film, <laughs> but he That's didn't, fun. but they made a documentary about it. So they're going to get into all of that and we're going to have all of that sort of uh, it's a great run up for the Dune movie. That's going to be coming out later this year. Yeah. So, that sounds super fun. I, yeah. I liked the Dune movie when we covered it with uh, Anthony the 21 and version. I am, yep. uh, I am glad that she's going into the books. So our other affiliate, properly Howard Film Reviews, uh, Anthony and Steve. Uh, Anthony's an academic. Steve's a stand-up comic. They've been friends for a long time. They like to do movie reviews. They have a new season when they're coming over, starting with us. The Dude theme described is, it as unhinged today. Unhinged, riotous. Yes. He said he was busting a gut. Um, the theme for this season of reviews is all about remakes. So they just did Howard the Duck. Uh, they're going to do White Man Can't Jump. They're going to do Dune Part One, and that's been a you know a thing. RoboCop, The Wolfman, Wicker Man. They've got what do we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine films that they've got uh, for this season, and all going to be about remakes. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Steve is hilarious. Uh, Anthony is uh, always, he's, he laughs, I think, more than he actually talks because Steve has <laughs> in stitches. So yeah, uh, check out Properly Howard Film Review. Link in the show notes. Uh, just search in your podcast review. Uh, give them a like and a listen. And um, their season proper is going to start August 14th. So once they get uh, August 14th, they're going to be running a podcast a week. Um, Till they're they're done with this current uh, run. Nice. What's up for us, John? For the rest of of July, a lot of stuff. We just recorded two podcasts with Marilyn this week, which means we were on the mic for like six hours. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that's why I'm a little. We go long. We go long. We know we have great conversations. So expect some long podcasts on uh, the Earthsea cycle. We did uh, the farthest shore, the third Earthsea book. I think we all really loved it. We had a great conversation. And we stayed on the mic all night. Then we, the next night, recorded a new Silmarillion stories where we did uh, of the Silmarils and the unrest of the Noldor. And mm-hmm. then we did the second chapter was 
of the darkening of Valinor. So we've got plenty of plenty of stuff going on with the book series. I know Brandon and I are releasing a new Lorehounds play soon. Oh, cool. Fun. That'll that'll be out uh, this weekend sometime. Okay. And then you are, are you guys doing, covering? Oh, we're we're covering Jedi Fallen Order. It's a Star okay. Wars canon video game, so we're having we're having fun with that. We recorded that already as well, so a lot okay. of things in the can that we're going to be having having out soon. We've got Attack of the Clones coming out for yep. our Star Wars Film yep. Fest, and we've got some Ahsoka prep. Right, yep. you re, you're reworking the Ahsoka prep a little bit, right? Yep. We're going to do one episode on the Clone Wars, one episode on Rebels. That way, we don't flood everybody with podcasts. In nice. August. I think that'll be a better division here. Plus, right. I heard that Disney actually put out some playlists on Disney Plus for Ahsoka background. So uh-huh. they they heard about what we were doing and they said, <laughs> oh, man, we got to jump on that. The Lorehounds are beating us to it. That's right. Bob Iger was uh, jealous. Green yeah. jealousy. You're, you're so. freaking welcome, Bob Iger. <laughs> we're finishing up uh, Secret Invasion as well and just got a couple episodes yep. left of that with Alicia and Jean and uh, yeah it's been a mixed bag Secret <laughs> Invasion um, really great concepts and really interesting story stuff underneath but then the plot's been a little bit loosey goosey so. I'll say the conversation's better than the show that's what we say so, That's what so we say. definitely check it out even if you're not watching the show I think there's some interesting topics to talk about I think we've got a one-shot movie review. Well, this may be a double-barreled one-shot. Uh, we're going to do the uh, something with Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. The Barbie movie. and the You, you were only about Oppenheimer. I said, no. Yeah. You got to bring in Barbie. Got to bring in Barbie. I, I'm planning to only see Barbie, so I'm going to be on Team Barbie. Okay, got it. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a sort of a Lorehounds assemble. We're going to get uh, various people, some who've seen Oppenheimer, some who've seen Barbie, some who've seen both. Alicia definitely has seen both. Um, and uh, we're going to get together and talk about it. Uh, and if you missed it, we just did uh, a podcast. Anthony and I actually talked about Asteroid City and the whole Wes Anderson of it all. And then, John, you and I did uh, a one-shot for The Bear. Yes, yes, that was a good time. And yeah. I think we talked about a lot of, I think the millennial theme is found family. And we right, uh, we right. went into that a lot so, in there. It's been a busy month and it's only going to get busier now that we've got Ahsoka and Wheel of Time on the horizon. I know. It's going to get a little crazy. But at least we can watch Foundation a little early and that makes things a little easier. Yes. And, and yeah. yeah, that will make things a lot yeah. easier for our lives. So. Okay. Come back soon. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks, everyone. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. 
Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>